John chapter 1, verse 35 to the end of the chapter is where we are today. Incipient, not incipient disciples. Incipient, not incipient disciples. So you're going to learn new words today. If you're simply someone who listens from the parking lot or online, you don't even know I said something different just now. Incipient versus incipient. Because the words are spelled differently. Now, the first one is with a C, and the second one is with an S, and those are the only differences in the spellings. The etymology is different, and the definition for each one is different, and they're very different. So, I'd like to go ahead and show you some definitions. Now, what I did is I put a conglomerate of definitions together so that we have a clearer understanding. Now, you know you can look things up on Google and make people think you're smarter than you are. Uh, you can be having a conversation and somebody says something and you pull out your phone, I'll check. And then you check it. And just so you know, Google doesn't seem to have a real solid set of fact checkers because Google doesn't know everything. And when you look things up on Google, uh, sometimes you get incorrect answers. And even if you look up this word that's spelled with a C, it's going to give you the definition of the one with a C. And then if you type in the one with an S, it'll give you the one with a C again. And then say, do you really want to do this? Then you click on that, and guess what it does? It gives you the definition of the one with the C again. Even though you told it, no, I don't want that one. So the first one with the C it's an adjective. You say it exactly the same. There's no difference in the way you say the words. But it means in an initial stage, beginning to happen or develop. If you want to put some other words with that, you could, if you were describe someone as incipient as an individual, they would be developing or emerging. Here's a sentence that helps us understand it. He could feel incipient anger building up. That's the beginning stages of anger. And there's another one. We seemed more like friends than incipient lovers. Okay, so the one with an S, here's a definition. You can see it up behind me. Starts with, it's, you say it the same way. It's an adjective, but it means lacking wisdom, stupid, foolish. And if you want to have a sentence where you can understand what it's talking about, he had anger issues, which led to his incipient actions and landed him in jail. One means early stages of or developing. One means stupid. Now, some of us are bothered by that word stupid. Now, let me go ahead and tell you up front, there are some people that raise their children to say, don't ever say stupid because they don't want them to get engaged in name calling. And that's a good practice. And if you raise your children to say, don't say that word so that they don't get involved in name calling and trying to make people feel less than they are, that's great. So if it's a foul word in your house, then let it be a foul word. But it probably, as the kids grow up, they need to understand it's not necessarily foul. It's just a word you'd would prefer not to use if you don't have to. 
But I want to go ahead and show you so that those of you who grew up in homes that you were told that was a cuss word, that the preacher is not standing on the stage and saying actual cuss words. I want to show you that by giving you a couple of scriptures, and there are many. So here's the first one out of Psalm 92, verses 6 through 8. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. And a person who would be considered stupid or foolish doesn't know this. They can't understand it. They don't get it. And you've met a few people that are just, it's beyond their comprehension. Maybe they'll get beyond their condition of being foolish and learn. But maybe you remember the day when you, maybe you were one that didn't think Jesus was real or that Jesus was worth your time. Wouldn't you say that was foolish? So you can move beyond being stupid or foolish and, and no longer be. But that's just one scripture where the word is actually used in your Bible and it's in many different translations. Here's another one out of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 12, 6. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. The problem is that that describes too many people today. Uh, people don't want to be corrected. They would rather stay wrong and just look right. Don't tell me your opinion. Don't, don't try to correct me. My truth is my truth. You've heard this kind of thing? But the reality is there's, there's actually legitimate facts that, in the world. There are things that are true. Someone came up with this philosophical concept. You've all heard it. If a tree falls in the woods and no one is there to hear it, did it make a sound? That was brought up in a philosophy class under, that I had under Paul Thurman Butler, very wise man. And he said... So the concept is that if you don't know the tree is there, then if you don't think it's there, then it's not there. That's the concept. And he said, show me somebody who thinks that way and I'll blindfold them and tell them the tree's not there and I'll slam their head right into it and show them it's there. Even though you didn't know it was there, it's there. So, so whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but who hate, he who hates reproof is stupid. It doesn't feel good to get corrected, and it's especially, it should behoove us to, if we're going to correct people, to try to protect their dignity so we don't embarrass them. But it feels better to be corrected and be right than to not be corrected and stay wrong in front of everybody. So those are just a couple of passages. I could have taken you through many, but I want to explain something to you since the word stupid is used in the Bible. Since... The concept of incipient versus incipient forces us to bring up one is about early stages of development and one is about stupid. Some of you are pretty sharp disciples of Jesus. Last week, you might have noticed I got a little lost in some of my scriptures and I got confused with I was quoting John and, act, and, and in, I just got lost in my words. And some of you caught that just to make sure we're all on the same page. Yes, John the Baptist is a precursor to Elijah, Jesus, precursor to Moses, and is the prophet. Just to clarify, most of you already got that, and I was the only one lost. 
So let's talk about incipient versus incipient here, and you can see it in a chart, the C versus the S. So on the one side, incipient, here's a couple of definitions just to rehash, first or early, a good way to define that, developing. And under the, on the S side, we have foolish or stupid and lacking wisdom, which is actually basically the same thing. But let's throw in the term discipleship because the title of our message is talking about incipient versus incipient, sounds the same, disciples. We want to make sure we're on the side of where the C is, you see, disciples that are incipient. We want to be developing. We want to be um, emerging disciples. And we can't be the first disciples, but we certainly could be emerging. We definitely don't want to be the disciples that are lacking wisdom. Stupid disciples. All right, now we'll jump into the text. John chapter 1, verse 35 is where we will start. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Now, some, when they read this, will read this and think, start thinking, I'm not sure, what, who were those two disciples? Uh, is this confusing? Is this different than the synoptics versions? Stay with me, because John does an excellent job of explaining who these people are. But it's fascinating to me that he's already baptized Jesus, and he sees Jesus walking by, and it's clear to him, he's got to say, because the opportunity presents itself, behold, the Lamb of God. Do you know what happens to people who know the Old Testament, Jewish people in particular at that time, when he says, behold, the Lamb of God, immediately they're thinking about, this is the one prophesied about. This is the one where we celebrate the Passover every year. We think about the Passover Lamb. We think about this concept of having death pass us over. This is the one who's supposed to bring us a life where there is no death, meaning no eternal death. Eternal life. This is the one. That's a big statement for John the Baptist to say, this is the one we've all been preparing for, for all these years. Generation after generation, we've all been emphasizing there is a Savior coming. This is him, the Lamb of God. Now, I want to show you a picture of a hoopty car. You'll see it come up behind me. Maybe you don't know the term. I grew up in the deep south, so forgive me for my terms sometimes aren't aligned with yours. But a hoopty car was basically a junky car that somebody tried to make look nice. And you've probably seen cars like this drive around. You got these giant rims and tires, this car lifted up, and it, they just look funny. And some of them bounce, and that, some of them can bounce kind of cool. It's, it's kind of interesting. But a lot of them have very loud sound systems, and I, I want to talk about that part. I was in, um, we were in Portugal recently, you know this, and Google Maps and iPhone maps do not do a very good job in Portugal, just so you're aware. Both do a good job of getting you lost. <clears throat> so we were trying to find where we needed to meet everybody. 
And as we're walking around looking obviously lost, there's another couple with a kid that are walking around looking lost, and we figured out we're both lost looking for the same thing. We're from America, and we don't know where we're going. And we found a local, a nice man. He was probably my age. And he began to tell us where we need to go, not where these maps are telling us. It's, it's just kind of down an alley, and you got to go that way. And as he's telling us this, a car like this, not this big and not lifted, but with a very loud sound system pulled up. And it was so loud that he had to stop talking. And he finally turned and he goes, you see? Just like John the Baptist, behold, the Lamb of God. He goes, you see? They are not just in a circus. <laughs> he wanted us to know they have clowns there as well. So it is a little bit obnoxious when people play their loud music. Now this is my, are you kidding me? I took my jacket off. I had a sport coat on to look nice for you. Hold on a second. I'm going back to my coat because that's where my phone is. And I need my phone. I got to show you something. JC's getting ready for something. Oh, okay. Here, I'll grab it. I'll go ahead and... I'm not mic'd? Am I not on? No. All right, we'll try it now. Testing. It could be that my battery's dead. Testing. One, two, three. Battery's dead. Hold on. No, I can... It feels like the battery's actually not in here. Like there's no battery. All right, here we go. Can I hand this to somebody and somebody fix that and bring it to me? And I'll go play with my phone while they're fixing that and we'll hook up to it because they can't hear out in the lobby. And I'll try to patch the message together for you later. All right, so back to the hoopty car and the sound. I'm gonna play a song on my phone. I must tell you in advance, I am bothered when anybody plays a song on their phone. It even bothers me because I spent a lot of time and energy dealing with high-end sound systems. I don't like low quality, and I don't care how nice your phone is, it's low quality. But I know there was a time when people used to sit around a radio and tune it in and listen to stuff like the Grand Ole Opry, and it was a small, like a two-inch speaker, and it was low quality, and that's all you had. I understand that. So this is what we have for now. That's a group called Pearl Jam. It's not the one you're probably used to hearing, but that is a song that mentions heaven, so I can play it in church. All right, so in, in a good way, actually. So now I'm going to have JC, you got that battery pack ready, I'm going to get the battery. JC's going to play it at a higher quality. Can you go ahead and play it, JC? Okay. Joe was getting too excited, I had to cut you off there. No, I wanted him to, actually. Okay, so now... It's too much. Yeah, too much volume. Echo, can you hear me? All right. Sorry for those people who might have just lost their hearing. Um, so the reason why 
Joe, and you might have felt like a little bit more into the music just a minute ago, is because you got to hear it at a higher quality. Some of you were here at the Wittenberg Carnival, and at the Wittenberg Carnival, I had so many, especially younger people, ask me, and all we played was Christian music here. And so many people asked me for the playlist because they love the sound. And the reality is they probably already heard some of those songs, but we were listening to it at a higher quality. We stepped it up. And that's what you have to do oftentimes when you're going to go with, with higher quality music, you have to step it up. So I'm going to talk about a relationship here between bass and Christianity. I know you may not like it because when a car like this drives by, and they are enjoying high quality, and not all cars that look like this use high quality, I realize that. But if they are going to listen to music with higher quality, um, there's a relationship here. So bass and Christianity, the first thing, there's three things I'm going to give you real quick. The first one, it requires more. If you're going to play something that has the low end that a phone cannot reproduce, so this little phone that I have here is probably less than a watt of music, and everybody in the room could hear it, but there was no bass. In order for you to have the full spectrum, which the humans average, I shouldn't say average, the human listening range typically is between 20 hertz and 20,000 hertz. And a phone like this is not going to go anywhere near that low. In fact, most people can't hear below 40, 50 hertz. You feel it. Bass does this thing. We'll go to the next one. Penetrates barriers. So you, I said it requires more. It requires more power. You've got to have a lot more power, a lot more wattage, a lot more amperage. You're going to have to move more air to get the full sound. So when, the, when you are able to do that, then what ends up happening is it penetrates barriers. So at the church where I served for 18 years before, we actually bought because we, we played music outside. And when you're outside, you can, the highs, you can play those highs and you can hear them neighborhoods away. But you're not going to hear the bass unless you pump it up. So we had to buy an extra subwoofer to go with our main speakers like they're in here so that you could hear the bass too outside, which requires a lot more power. But then it penetrates houses and other buildings because, it, because here's the third thing. It resonates. That particular subwoofer that we got was 1,600 watts, I think, and so it was a lot of power. But when it comes to basic Christianity, Christianity is not like any other faith. And I hate to say it, it we should not have to have a distinction between genuine Christianity and Christianity, because Christianity should be genuine. Otherwise, it's fake. I guess the distinction should be between fake Christianity and Christianity. And when we're talking about incipient versus incipient, you can figure out which one goes where. But Christianity requires more, more effort. You can't just say, yeah, I'm a Christian. You actually have to live it. Because if you say you're a Christian, other people will judge you based on what you claim you are. So don't just say it, show it, like James 2 says. And it penetrates barriers. Many of you have stories. I have lots of stories, but the reality is when you live out your genuine faith, 
it goes beyond people's walls that they want to put up. They don't want to talk about your faith. They don't want to deal with your faith. But when your faith screams at them in your behavior as you interact with them, it penetrates barriers. Yes, those loud, bassy cars, and when you have more power, it's obnoxious, and so is your faith. Your faith sometimes is obnoxious to people who don't want to be around it, don't want to hear it. They've already rejected Christianity. We live in a world now where that's very trendy to reject Christianity. So I can guarantee you, in most cases, when you're around non-believers, your faith is obnoxious to them. But if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and you're being genuine, you can penetrate those barriers. And here's another thing it does. It resonates. It's something that people feel. Not just something they hear. They feel it. Your Christianity, if you're living it right, people who know you, they feel something there. And hopefully it's the grace and the love of God that's shining through. So I, <laughs> I uh, wanted you to know that when you are living a quality life, It's like stepping up your quality in music. People like it. And they they enjoy that beat that you're marching to. And they want to get with it too. Back to our verse, John 1.35 that we started with. I want to look at it again. I want to go ahead and read verses 35 and 36 again. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold! The Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Okay, now we'll move on to the next verse. Can you back it up one? Thanks. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you'll see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. Now, what I would like for you to pay attention to first, before we start looking at the notes, I want you to pay attention to what has happened here. This is pretty cool. They ask a question that seems almost benign. I mean, if you think about it, this is the one? This is the one for thousands of years we've been waiting on? Are you kidding me? This is the one? And the question they have isn't some brilliant question. Where are you hanging out? What? What difference does it make? It's kind of a weird question. But look what Jesus does. The question really is like, I would be thinking if I was Jesus, like, you know who I am and you're going to ask that? You have an opportunity here and you just blew it. That's what I would be thinking. But instead, the Jesus that I've come to know He's this person that when we ask a question that might not be the right one, he just goes ahead with it. Oh, I don't know what he was thinking, but it looks like he was thinking, they want to know where I'm staying. If I say, I'll show you, then they're going to stay with me for a while and more opportunities will come. What a Lord he is. He just thinks of everything. So here's, they blew the opportunity, but he's not going to let them. Maybe you feel like that sometimes, where you have an opportunity, and I just blew it. I just met that person, and I don't think they know God, and I probably was the vessel that needed to show them. But 
you know what? Jesus is always looking for the extra opportunities, and here it is. They blew it. Come, you'll see. So they stayed with him. Now, JC, we're ready for that. I want to show you what this 10th hour is. Those of you who are uh, military or former military, I was just talking with somebody yesterday about this. It's such a cool place um, up here. I had no idea that the Bremerton, Silverdale area was so much into belly buttons. I mean, I see navel this and navel that everywhere. Now, I get it. I know Navy is, a, I get it. I'm just, it's just a joke. But those who've been in the Navy or the Army or the Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard or whatever, um, you're probably used to these numbers, 1,600 hours. What does that mean? Four o'clock, there you go, 4 p.m. For those of you who aren't necessarily tracking with all this, let's look at um, how we figure these kinds of things out. So I want to give you, in the New Testament times, when you hear these things, like in the sixth hour and that sort of thing, how, what do you, how do you figure this out? Well, that's basically, they try to do this where they, the day starts when the sun comes up. So you have to approximate when the sun comes up. So the start of the day would be most of the time, when you're guessing in the New Testament, would be 6 o'clock. That's just the universal theological time that most people pick for the, when the sun comes up. Otherwise known as 0600 or 6 a.m. So if it says that it's the 10th hour, you simply add 10 hours to that 0600, which would be 1600. Or if you want to say it's 6 o'clock in the morning and you add 10 hours to it and you use the 12-hour day thing or the 24-hour day thing, I'm sorry, this is the 12-hour one, where you do the a.m. versus p.m., then it becomes 4 p.m. I forget when you set a clock. So I have my watch set on the military-type time because that's what we use inside prisons. So we'll move on to the next scripture. All right, I hope that makes sense to you. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now let's talk about this a little bit. Um, you see that uh, K that's up behind me. I don't think I have a, a slide for him or thing for him to click on that, but I'll go ahead and explain it to you. Uh, that particular letter uh, in the Greek, it doesn't say Jesus. It actually says him. But because the Greek language is a little bit more particular when you read it, you would know that that him is actually connected to Jesus and not John the Baptist. If it said him, it would be confusing. Because if we read it and said, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him, we would think it's connected to John. But it, in the Greek, it's very clear it's not. It's connected to Jesus. That's why you see a footnote. And in most of your Bibles, it's talking about following Jesus, not John. Okay. So also, I want to talk to you about the other footnote, which is I. You see that there in my Bible, that's the way it is. And that is Cephas and Peter are from the word for rock in Aramaic and Greek, respectively. That's why you have 
two things going on there. And there's a little bit of confusion. I, I remember hearing at church camp many years ago, somebody asked, how did people say Jesus when they called out his name? Because it would, you, you, and I heard different preachers that were at the camp give different answers. Because what you're going to have to figure out is what language were they speaking in when they said his name? Probably the right answer would be Yeshua. You see, because Jesus spoke Hebrew, Aramaic, and more than likely Greek as well. Uh, because we see him quoting from the Septuagint, then he would have been reading Greek. But he's the Lord. He could speak any language. But if they're going to call him in casual conversation, what they would have called him, it would probably have been Joshua, or the way you say it in Hebrew is Yeshua. That's probably the way they said his name. So that's why you have two different words for Peter. Jesus changed it to rock. And that's a fun discussion if you want to look at it in the Synoptic Gospels. But that's as far as we're going with it today. Let's move along in the text. Verses 43 and following. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. It's interesting what's going on here. It's uh, his early disciples, his incipient with a C, disciples have already learned a behavior of Jesus. I'll show you. Come see for yourself. This is a pattern of Christianity we should exemplify. Another pattern you might notice here is this pattern of somebody finds the Lord and they've got to go tell somebody. We found the answer to life's solutions right here. This is Jesus. And there was a time more than likely in your life when you were on a spiritual high. Maybe when you first came to know Jesus, you got to know him. You knew what it felt like to be saved of your sins and have hope for your eternal future. And you just want to tell people and then you find out real quickly it's not as easy as you thought it was going to be because you start talking about it. People start making fun of you or they start accusing you of being a radical. People don't want to hear it. May I encourage you to go back to that. This is what disciples do. I want you to notice also the part you already noticed, the part that sticks out the most in this chunk. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Bremerton? Can, I mean, wherever you're from, anybody could judge you based on some, their, some of their experience that they've had there. I mean, you could go to Seattle and enjoy the Space Needle, but there's some other things you could notice and think, oh, this is a very weird place. There's a lot of bad stuff going on. And depending on what you've been through, you could judge the city that somebody came from as a bad city. And Nazareth had a reputation. A lot of bad was coming out of Nazareth. But out of Nazareth, 
came Jesus. And Philip says, come and see. All right. So we'll move on to the next chunk of Scripture. Verses 47 and following, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. He's impressed because he knew that Jesus physically couldn't see him as he was more than likely seeking shade underneath the fig tree. He knew that Jesus wasn't around, couldn't physically see him, yet somehow he knew he was under the fig tree without having this communication with Philip. He knew. And so Nathaniel's like, wow, you're the one. You really are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Whoo! I'm convinced. Look at Jesus' response to this next passage. Verses 50 and following. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, that first note that you see up there for you, you'll see the footnote that I put up, I think. Yeah. Oh, no, that's not. That's a good job, JC. I need to talk about that first. What's he talking about when he's talking about ascending and descending? This is a direct reference to Genesis 28:12. You remember the story of Jacob's ladder. And if you don't, essentially, Jacob was shown a new reality. He, he was shown something that he did not know. And so Jesus is telling Nathaniel, he is going to be shown great things. And you might want to hang on to that concept of a new reality. Now let's look at the footnote. You'll see it come up. The Greek for you is plural twice in this verse. Once again, it's one of those things lost in the English language, but not in the Greek. When I say to you, you you know, because I'm standing on the stage by myself and you're all out there, I'm talking about you plurally. But there's no distinction. If I talk to you out there in the lobby, just you and me, that's singular. But you can't tell. We say it the same way. In the Greek, it's actually worded differently. So we need to know he's talking plurally here. So it's not just Nathaniel he's addressing He's addressing both Philip and Nathaniel and the other disciples that are around. You will see greater things. Your reality is going to change. And that's pretty fascinating. Now, I have to ask the question, so what? Like I did last week, I said to you, the so what needs to be answered at the end of every message, at the end of every lesson, if you're going to teach something in the Bible. And the so what may be for you, maybe not, but we're supposed to live in a world where there will be a new reality as we come to know Jesus. He will show us a new reality. And also, 
Don't forget that as we see this new reality, that requires us to repent, just like last week. We have to change our minds. When, you, when Jesus shows us a new reality, our minds have to change. I've talked to you several times about the way stress works, the way anxiety works. We choose to be anxious. We choose to be stressed. We get this thing in our head where we think this is just what we do. So when these things happen, things unfold, circumstances in life, we think we're just supposed to get all worked up. No, we choose to do that. We could make the same choice when life's unfolding in front of us. We could decide this is life. Now what do we do? Instead of just continuing to stress and be anxious. Now we don't like to talk about this in our world today because when we tell people you're stressed because you're choosing to be, they don't want to hear that. Just like when somebody says to me, Jeff, did you loosen your belt? It looks like you're putting on a little bit of weight. I don't want to be told that. I mean, most people don't. Hey, you're not supposed to notice. But it's good for me. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. We don't like to be confronted. We don't like to be told we're wrong. And if we're told you're stressed because you're choosing to be, that's like you, if you go through some coaching, if you have somebody coach you on how to de-escalate, a lot of times you'll be told don't tell anyone to calm down. You know why? Because we live in a world where everybody lives in a world where it's like, don't you tell me to calm down. You tell me to calm down, I'm escalating. That's what people do. So, so now you're not supposed to say the obvious. You need to calm down. That's what needs to happen. But you're just not supposed to say that. The obvious, we just that's the world we live in. We're not... You know, things get weirder and weirder, and we're not supposed to go, that's weird. But it is. So if you're stressing or you're anxious, you can back up for a minute. In fact, here's, here, let me help you with something. If you start to feel yourself getting stressed or anxious, pause for a minute and ask yourself, can I think about this differently? How would it please Jesus if I thought about it differently? What would make him happy in my thinking on this matter. There was a situation that unfolded when we were running a, a very successful preschool and, and school. A kid ended up injured out in the grass outside. The principal was not around and uh, was off-site. And a parent had to step in and start dealing with the situation, and it wasn't a serious injury, but the parent was dealing with it. Lots of upset kids because they thought the one kid was very injured, and it wasn't the case. But a parent was calming down some of the other parents that were there as kind of an outside event, and the principal showed back up at the time. By the time the principal showed back up, this parent had gotten everybody calm. Take the kids back there. It's okay. You're going to be fine. It's, it's, all, it's fine. And when the principal got there, then all of a sudden, as the principal got there, she ran, dropping everything, ran over to the scene, went to the kid. Oh, my goodness, we need to call 911. Everything escalated because she chose to stress. And the kid on the ground who wasn't very injured suddenly thought she was very injured. It's stress, stress, stress. And when you stress, when you choose to be stressed... You stress everybody else out around you. So how about just pause for a minute when you can feel it coming, when you see it coming. 
How about you just pause for a minute and tell yourself that phrase I love to tell myself when I start to feel like I'm stressing. Lighten up. I can tell you, if you can learn to be the calm one in a crisis, you'll be the one people want around when everything's unraveling. You'll be the one that people find stability in when it doesn't feel very stable. You'll be the one that's able to provide comfort and be able to share peace in the middle of a moment that feels very chaotic. And that, my friends, is just like being like the disciples, being like Jesus. Come see. Let me show you what Christianity looks like. It's like this. Okay. So be ready for a new reality. Change your mind. Repent. All that stuff in the so what. There's five things. Let's go through them one at a time. Be an incipient with a C, not incipient with an S, disciple. Be an incipient with a C, disciple, not an incipient with an S, one. Know the difference. I must tell you, in the world in which we live, in many of our churches, I think that sometimes people could argue that there are more with the S than with the C. Because there's plenty of people that want to wear the Christian name, and not behave accordingly. And that, my friends, would be foolish. Number two. So be a developing one. Number two, love, discipline, and correction. No, I don't like it when you tell me that my belt, that I, I might have loosened my belt. I don't want to hear that, but I need to love it. I need to love the correction. I need to love discipline. Because as Hebrews 12 says, God is showing his love for us when he disciplines and corrects us. And sometimes he does it through his people that are around us that are fellow disciples. So we need to love discipline and correction. Number three, be like base. <laughs> Do more, break through barriers, resonate and relate with the people around you. Yes, some of them will see it as obnoxious. That's okay. Do it anyway. Number four, regenerate. Make more incipient. I misspell that. C, make more incipient with a C, disciples. B, disciple makers. Good thing the preacher caught that. So you want to be disciple makers. You, can I make this painful? Do you mind uh, a loosen your belt moment? I tell you that you loosened your belt or ask you the question. So if I were to go around the room and say, can you name on your hand, can you count off the five people you're currently discipling? Could you do it? Christians, what are we doing? Jesus didn't save you just for you. He loved you enough to save you so that you could reach the people around you in your network of people, in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, in your family. I cannot relate to the people that you can like you can. So you're supposed to be a disciple maker. It's your calling. It's our primary objective. Read the Great Commission. 
regenerate. That's what we're supposed to be doing. You, you can come up with excuses. Well, I'm just not good with people. That, Jesus didn't say, if you're good with people, go make disciples. Well, uh, you know, I, just, uh, I plant the seeds. Other people can do the rest. Well, guess what? He didn't say that either. Okay, those of you who aren't seed planters, go make disciples. No. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so you're going to make disciples. Number five. The last thing from our text today, capitalize on the opportunities with urgency and priority. People that don't know Jesus are lost. And someday I have to stand before God and explain to him, and I like to imagine this, and it's probably not an accurate thing, but I like to imagine that I'm standing at the gates of heaven. And I, as I'm standing there, I, I'm, I'm excited because I, I know that I've tried to live my life trying to please the Lord, failing a lot, but I know his grace is big and I think it's big enough for me. And so I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm looking forward to that day where I, there I am in line going through the gates. And then there's people behind me that I've had contact with people that I've been able to influence. They want in too. And I like to imagine God looking in line behind me at the people that want in heaven and asking me, what, what, did you take advantage of that opportunity I gave you with them? Did you capitalize on the moment you had with that cashier in Safeway the other day when he clearly said to you that he's had a very difficult day? What'd you do with that? <clears throat> You remember when you were talking to your neighbor? She's, she's a few uh, people back from you. You're, you're wanting in these gates, right? Remember your neighbor? Well, guess what? She's behind you, a few people back. And remember how y'all were talking about stuff and yard work and things like that? And, and she brought up to you the things that she was going through personally and she didn't know how to handle. Did you capitalize on that moment? Share with her how you get through things like this because you know the Lord. Did you capitalize on it? Capitalize on the opportunities with urgency and priority. People need the Lord, and we've got to do our part. Since I misspelled it on one of my slides, and I caught it, and hopefully you were, if you were taking notes, you were able to correct it, I want to bring back a slide. You'll see it pop up behind me. The incipient with a C versus the incipient with an S. Maybe you feel like sometimes you are the foolish one. How about you shift? How about you go over to the other side? And become the developing one. Become the emerging disciple. The one that is growing. The one that is learning. The one that's changing. The one that's understanding this reality of Jesus is far better than this imagination of people who don't know him. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for motivating us when we need it. Thank you for giving us opportunities. And God, where we have failed you in taking advantage of those moments, help us to recover. Help us to be more like you when, when we, we don't ask the right thing, say the right thing. Help us to be like you and just building on that and finding a way to show people your way. We don't want to be incipient disciples with an S. We want to be incipient disciples with a C. You've given us a pattern clearly spelled out in your word. Help us to follow. In Jesus' name, amen.